Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, I've been given the non-controversial topic today to talk about our relationship to government the day before the election. So tell, tell you what to do. No, I won't tell you what to do. <laughs> I'll give you some principles, uh, and you'll make those decisions. But Well, once you say it has been quite a ride for this election, um, I was thinking concerning the character of the two leading candidates. Um, with the one candidate, what you see is what you get. With the other candidate, what you don't see is what you get. Both are flawed characters. Whoever wins on Tuesday, half of America will be upset. Do you realize that? And maybe you will be. So what are we supposed to do in light of the election and after the election? And I want to just help give you some perspective from some familiar verses from the Apostle Paul. He speaks to this issue in a little bit more detail twice in his epistles. And I also want to say this. How would you like it if the candidate that was winning for Tuesday was Nero? How would you feel? Would you feel a little bit nervous? Because when Paul writes about relating to government, Nero is the emperor. Nero comes to the throne at the age of 17 in 54 A.D., Okay, I'll give you these dates. You won't remember the dates. I'll try to remind you. But I, I, I just I want to place things for you, okay? So Nero comes to power in 54 AD. If you take a few steps to 57 AD, Paul writes the book of Romans in 57 AD. Take a few more steps... Brings us, Paul has been in prison and actually stood before Nero. And in 62, Nero lets him go. And in 63 AD, Paul writes the book of 1 Timothy. 64, there's a great fire with which Nero blames on the Christians. And somewhere between 64 and 65, Paul is beheaded by Nero. Okay? So it could be worse, folks. No, but do you see what I'm saying? So Paul is writing the book of Romans three years into Nero's rule. Nero ends up committing suicide in about 68 AD at the age of 31. About a three years into his reign, Paul writes Romans. Paul will be imprisoned, stand before Nero, let go, write 1 Timothy. He'll write 2 Timothy right before Nero has him killed. I want to look at what Paul says in Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2. Does that make sense? The other thing, just to be fair, Nero, when he first came to power, was influenced by a philosopher by the name of Seneca. And it was hoped that he would be a pretty good emperor. That quickly went south within a few years. 
When Paul originally writes, it's not as bad as it gets, okay? So does, does that help? So what can we learn? And here's something else. Paul could never vote as a Roman citizen. You can and you should. So what does he say about our relationship with government? I find this passage, these two passages, gives me great hope no matter what happens. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans 13. And in Romans 13, I basically want to look at two things. What are we, how are we supposed to relate to government? And why are we supposed to do it? And then try to handle some tangly issues that typically come up after I say what I'm going to say. So I'll try to kind of walk you through that. Romans 13, if you have your Bibles there, we're just going to be looking at uh, seven verses. Let me read it first. So here's Paul writing three years into Nero's reign to the Romans, a place that he has not yet visited but hopes to, and eventually would but not in the way that he had intended. Bible says this, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil behavior. Do you not want, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. I'll come back to the last two verses in just a minute because it gets into the area of taxes. And we'll talk about that. All right. It's Paul. This whole emperor thing is corrupt, Paul. You know, it's not the old Roman Republic, Paul. So what are you going to say we should do, Paul? The operating word is be in subjection. Submit. Submission is not only describing what I do, it's describing my attitude. You know the story of the little boy whose mom said, son, go over there and sit on that seat. And he went over and plopped down on that seat and crossed his hands and said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Now, that is not submission. This text says, I want you to submit to the governing authorities. Paul is saying that under Nero. I mean, like, come on, Paul. I know he's not as bad as he's going to be, but still. Why should we do it? 
Well, let me give you some other terms he uses, and then, then we'll talk about why. He uses the expression, do the good. All that means is obey the laws. If you obey the laws, if you do what is right, that's what you need to do. So he'll talk about obeying the laws. He will also talk, and I didn't read this yet, but I'll read it now. Let, let me read for you verse 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. And, and that doesn't mean collecting your taxes, although it does seem that way sometimes. Um, but they're, they're devoted to being servants, or they should be. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Do you realize there's no wiggle room here? Do, do you realize that? So, direct taxes, mm-hmm. Do you like property taxes in New Jersey? But does the Bible say you should pay property taxes? It does. Indirect taxes, sales taxes, Pennsylvania here. Yeah, that too. So, so we are responsible in our heart and in our actions to submit to the governing authorities, which includes paying my taxes. You see, there's no wiggle room. And then to, to put it all together, he says, so what I want you to do is give fear to whom fear is due and honor to whom honor is due. He, just, he uses all kinds of words. Obey the law. You're going like, Paul, this is Nero. What I don't know, and, and no scholar does. You, you read them, they have all kinds of ideas. Nobody knows. Were there some people in the Roman church that were saying, we need to get out from underneath this stuff? Perhaps. I, enough so. So Paul is either being reactive here or proactive. I don't know which exactly. But what's for sure is he's saying, you need to come at this not like a normal Roman, or we might say, you need to come at this election not like a normal American. Because you know why? You are first and foremost, if you know Jesus Christ, you are first and foremost a Christian that lives in America and is an American citizen, but ultimately, you're a Christian. And that shapes and frames everything that we do. So Paul says, these are the things I want to do. Well, then you're scratching your head like me sometimes when you read this stuff, and you're saying, why? And Paul says, I'll give you two reasons. The first reason is because God has ordained the governing authorities. Now, does that mean that God stands behind everything that Nero or an American politician does? No, he does not stand behind all those acts. But he does stand over all those acts. Do you see? If he stood behind it, he's responsible for all of them. God is not responsible for, for people are culpable for what they do. But he stands over everything as the sovereign God. God knowing Nero would rule. God knowing our political structure and who's going to win on Tuesday because we don't know. God who is over that entire process says, you know what? I am the sovereign God. And when I choose to allow people to be in positions of rulership, even if you as my people don't fully always understand it, you are called to submit. I, um, 
sometimes go online and you see people, whether it's on Facebook or whatever, giving their opinions on, the, on stuff, blogs and the whole thing. And I, and I have to tell you, some of the stuff that people who profess to know Christ say is terrible. It's disrespectful. It's crude. It's mocking people that God has called us to love. There is no place for that kind of activity among Christians. Does that mean we go, yippee, hi, I love all this? No, I mean, you're, it's, you're being a realist. No, no, come on, I understand that. But, but when you disagree, you disagree in a way that's kind and appropriate. Do, do, do you see? But sometimes some of the stuff I read around, I go to myself, that's not right. It's not what God's called us to. God says, I want you to submit because you know what? I am the sovereign God who has allowed for these things to occur. And you as my people are called to honor me in the midst of it and submit to them. How many times in here does he call the government his minister, his servant? Isn't that amazing? God has structured government as a minister. In the previous chapter, we, re- we learn about evil and how to overcome evil with good and a whole series of things about personal offenses. In this chapter, God's saying one of the reasons he's given us government is to handle the problem of evil, to have justice. It's part of what he's designed. And God says it is by my design that we have government. He gives a second reason. Second reason is because The government that is established rewards the good and punishes the evil. So if I choose to go 55 in a 25 mile per hour speed limit, I can do that. But when that police officer pulls me over, I have no recourse. Hey, you know, it should be 55. It was up the road. Yeah, but the sign said 25. And you chose to do this, right? That's how it works. So do you, when you see a police officer, tend to go for your break, or is it just me? You know what I mean? You're driving up, and you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could be going the speed limit, and you still put your brake on, or at least take your foot off the gas. And, and, and Paul says, look, one of the reasons why you submit and pay taxes, because if you get caught not doing it, you're in, you're in a heap of trouble. But the ultimate reason you say, look at this. Look at verse 5. This is really interesting to me. Look at what he says in verse 5. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath. And there he's talking about the wrath that comes upon you when, you when you're punished for doing something that's wrong. But also for conscience sake. Because ultimately, it's about my conscience before the God that I love and trust. And God, I can entrust this whole process to you. Now, you're hearing me speak and you have to be thinking something. Doug, I get it. God is over us. Got it. He's ordained government. Got it. Sometimes government is kind of rotten like Nero's. Got it. Um, What do you do when a government asks you to do something that is a direct, that's a very important word, direct and direct violation 
of your relationship with Christ? What do you do? What do they do in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 and following? Peter is brought before the, the, the governing group there in Jerusalem, and they say, you are not going to speak the name of Christ anymore. You're causing problems. We don't like it. Knock it off, or we're going to punish you more. And what's Peter say? Okay, you're the ruling government. That's what I'm going to do. Is that what he says? He says, when what you say directly conflicts with what God says, I must obey God rather than man. So submission is only conditioned by one thing my ultimate submission to Jesus Christ. So are there times when respectfully I can't? Only when it directly impacts my relationship with Christ. Because I want to preserve as much as I can this system, this minister, this servant of God that has been established by God himself. And whether I like all the characters in there or not, God is over the process. So how does that affect your voting? Because I would never tell you who to vote for. You should vote for candidates that you think, because you you have Jersey candidates and you have national and local, you have a whole system of them. And, And frankly, my wife convicts me of this all the time. Whenever we were voting, I normally know what's going on nationally, and, and I, I normally know what's going on statewide in Pennsylvania at the, the top level. But I normally don't have a clue who these local people are. I, you know, and she always says, Doug, we got to get... And so before Tuesday, I need to make sure I do all that. So but I, I'm convicted of that too. But, but when you vote, underneath the sovereignty of God, you make choices based on those individuals which you think will best promote the good and punish the evil. That's what their job is as a servant of God, to reward the good and punish the evil. So when I make a choice, I make a choice based on that. Recognizing whatever I end up with, I am called to submit under the sovereignty of God And the only thing that would make me say no is when there's a direct violation of something that God's called me to do. Does that make sense? One other passage. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy 2? So we've just stepped from year three in Nero's reign, 57 AD. Paul's been on trial before Nero. Paul's been released. Paul is now writing 1 Timothy and as he writes 1 Timothy, it's in this time from, the, from when he's released till he's recaptured. When he's recaptured, he's going to be ultimately killed by Nero. Okay? So he's writing 1 Timothy right here. He knows things have gotten far worse under Nero. Nero is going crazy at this point, doing things. He's knocking off family members. It's a mess. Paul knows all this. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 2. Verse 1, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, 
in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, I want to explain this to you and then continue reading because it's important to put this all in context. Paul knows that things are bad now for Christians. Remember, one year later, the fire in Rome in which Christians are going to be blamed. And within a year after that, Paul is going to be beheaded. You see how close he is? I mean, he's not far. He knows things are not going well for Christians. He says, when you pray, you pray for all people. But especially remember those that are in political authority. In order that God will so work through their reign that we can have a life with relative tranquility. Why? So Christians can be isolated and just feel kind of good and not have persecution? Is that, is that what he's all about? No. You know why he wants relative tranquility for Christians? Let's go on and read. This is very important. Look at what he says in verse 3. This kind of prayer is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony borne out at proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Here's what, you know what Paul's saying? When you pray about our government, your prayer should be, God, I pray for all these individuals. I thank you, Lord, when they make those kinds of good decisions. I, I, I pray that you would bring them to Jesus Christ. I, I, I pray that they will make good decisions that promote righteousness. I, I pray that they will punish evil when it occurs. God, I pr- you, you see, I mean, you're praying like this. And Lord, I pray in such a way that Christianity can have enough peace to propagate the gospel to all people because God loves all people. See, I don't ultimately pray, Lord, I want you to make my life comfortable so I can make a lot of money. That's all I care about, comfort, the American dream. Do you see any of that in this passage? This prayer is all about God. Will you so work among us so there's enough tranquility that we can take your gospel to as many people as possible and they can come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They can find forgiveness. They can find a relationship with with him. Please give us a setting where we can just do that. That's how Paul prays two years before he dies, one year before the great fire. That's how we should pray. You know how I pray? And how I'm going to vote? And pray and all this kind of stuff. God, give us officials that will allow Christianity to flourish and the gospel to go forth. That's how I pray. That's how I vote. I'm not going to tell you names. I'm just telling you that. And you know what I know? 
regardless of what happens, God is God. God is over it. God is at work in such a way that he will accomplish his purposes. Paul is killed. Peter will be killed. Others will be martyred. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will go forth and the church will be built. I don't pray for persecution. Never have. I don't. I don't see Paul praying for persecution. I pray for a context where the gospel can go out. As much peace as possible. That's how I pray. And I vote the same way. And so, James mentioned this at the beginning, which I thought was really good. You should vote in a way that is consistent with Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2. And whatever happens on Tuesday, you can rest in a sovereign God. That's why people, that's why brothers and sisters, we are people of hope. Maybe, maybe you're with us here today and you don't know a lot about Christianity. I can tell you this, the most important thing that you can do is bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Trust him alone as your Lord and Savior, the one who has written himself into our story. He died for us on the cross so that we could become part of his story. We become part, he become his children. It's a wonderful thing. Most important thing you could do today is trust Christ. If you know Christ, vote, pray, and submit with eyes of faith. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this election on Tuesday, can't help to approach it with a level of concerns. Lord, help us to remember that you are God. Help us to rest in your sovereignty. Help us to do our part, Lord, to vote, to pray, and whatever system you give us, we will submit to that system as much as obedience to Christ will allow. We'll do that, Lord. But our heart's desire, Lord, is not that we can have um, more financial success in this country, although that's a nice thing. Our ultimate desire, Lord, is that we can see the gospel go forth in powerful ways through us for your glory and the good of all men. So, Lord, help us to keep the big picture in mind. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.